Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. This morning, credit agency DBRS issued a report giving the cannabis sector a non-investment grade. It's a grade B. It indicates that the industry may not quite be the darling many investors may think it is. Tantalus Lab CEO Dan Sutton, he joins us first to recap the initial week of legalization. He's also going to talk to us a little bit about why investors may need to be more cautious about this industry. But first, it was a very, very memorable election campaign across all of BC municipalities. And the results are in for Surrey, which sees former Mayor Doug McCollum return to the top job at City Hall. And it's likely giving the business community some pause. We're going to speak to Surrey Board of Trade CEO Anita Huberman next about everything from LRT to cannabis. One last thing, though, BIV's Business Excellence Series hits the Vancouver Club November 8th. Our expert panel will talk specifics on strategic wealth management at each stage and level, aiming to arm you with a game plan to build personal prosperity. Go to BIV.com slash events for more details. Now we're going to speak to Anita Huberman. And joining us now, it's Anita Huberman, CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade. Anita, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. So lots of shakeup in uh, this last weekend's municipal elections, especially in Surrey. I I think I mentioned to you on the show before that I I grew up in Surrey and Doug McCollum, he was the mayor there when I was growing up in Surrey. So it's been a a bit of a hiatus, I think almost 15 years for him, but uh, he's back in the mayor's seat. But you guys are making very clear that you still support a lot of the very important things the business community does that maybe the the mayor-to-be has not always been on board here. Let's talk a little bit about why LRT still remains such a priority for the business community, even though the mayor-to-be of uh, Surrey is more on the side of SkyTrain. Well, light rail transit has been a long-standing advocacy issue for the Surrey Board of Trade as part of its economic development strategy to bring business in, keep business here, and also to really connect all of our communities. So transportation is the foundation of driving an economy and light rail transit uh, is going to ensure an efficient and expedient way for us to connect, uh, to move people, to build arts and culture hubs. So, uh, you know, we're still waiting for this new government economic development strategy. But uh, we are making sure that each level of government knows that light rail transit is still wanted in this community. Well, we've also had different politicians. I, I do recall that uh, Premier John Horgan and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, they, they both made it very clear that the funding was available for LRT. If we kind of go back on that deal, if the new city government goes back on that deal, where does that put Surrey in terms of getting more transportation o- options in the near future? Well, if uh, this uh, mayor uh, for Surrey and and other mayors want to change uh, the transportation plan for the region, they'll have to go back uh, to the mayor's council at TransLink and they'll have to start from square one, create a new business plan and get buy-in from each level of government. The committed funding by the federal government is only committed to LRT. It's not transferable. SkyTrain itself is uh, more expensive by two or three times. So Surrey will be left behind again. Uh, We're going to have to wait 15, 20 years 
uh, for transportation investments. I know uh, that our Surrey mayor-elect has indicated that he's going to be building SkyTrain within his tenure of four years his mandate. That simply is not realistic, and I'd like to know how that's going to happen. Well, and tell me a little bit about with regards to the benefits of uh, light rail here. I, I mean, what is it going to provide for businesses, offer businesses that might be missing with regards to, say, the SkyTrain, the Rapid Transit SkyTrain line? What we've seen in communities all over the world where light rail transit is being built is you have customers flowing in and out of businesses at street level. You have at street level participation. You have connectedness. You have um, more eyes on the street in terms of public safety. Um, you know, you just have um, a city that is uh, interconnected between business, arts and culture, and uh, and those that are living here. And, and we're wanting to make Surrey the destination, not Vancouver the destination. And it really is our turn. We've been waiting for so long. And light rail transit is also easily able to expand. Uh, so if you want to take it to South Surrey or to Cloverdale, which is the intention, uh, then uh, it's easy to expand it. SkyTrain is just uh, up, way up high, it's noisy, it disconnects and separates the community, and uh, it's just so expensive. Well, if we're talking about transportation, one of the other things that I couldn't help but notice, but the uh, taxi industry, it heartily endorsed uh, Doug McCollum. Is that concerning at all for proponents of, say, ride-sharing going forward in uh, both the municipality as well as the province overall? Well, what we heard during the election campaign is uh, that the Surrey mayor-elect is not uh, in support of Uber or ride-sharing. And, uh, of course, ride-sharing is something that the Surrey Board of Trade supports. Uh, We need alternative transportation solutions. It's in every single global uh, city, and uh, it's not here in Metro Vancouver. We, in our policy statement, said that there needs to be a level playing field for the taxi industry. In no other area in the world does the taxi industry decline, even with ride-sharing as part of the economic mix. So uh, it is concerning, absolutely, and we are just going to stay steadfast and resolute on our advocacy in support of ride-sharing as well. Uh, the other thing I, I recall when we were talking about cannabis the last time, Anita, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the Surrey Board of Trade is taking more of a wait-and-see approach, uh, especially as we had the municipal elections unfolding. And I'm curious now, we do have the mayor-elect saying that he, there will be no cannabis stores in Surrey while he is mayor. I, I, are, are there any concerns on the part of uh, the business community with regards to these plans for legalized recreational cannabis stores moving forward? Well, the Surrey Board of Trade, we don't have a specific policy on that, but uh, our policy was more uh, targeted towards uh, workplace strategy, strengthening human resource policies, and productivity in the workplace being compromised, working with employment standards, WorkSafe BC, et cetera. And uh, that's been our priority is to make sure that our businesses, our workplaces are safe. Uh, and also that um, our businesses continue to be pr- uh, productive. We have the most number, the greatest number of manufacturers in British Columbia. 
uh, right here in Surrey. So uh, that, that's been the direction we've been focusing on as it relates to the legalization of cannabis. Maybe I, I can segue then into more of a law and order discussion here because we have a mayor-elect saying he doesn't want cannabis stores, legalized cannabis stores in the city of Surrey, which tells me very uh, you know, specifically that means that the black market in Surrey would continue to flourish. But this is a mayor who says that uh, he wants to maybe get rid of the RCMP, move forward with the municipal police force. And I, I do recall last time that he was mayor, this was actually something that I think he sent to council for a report and it came back and it just looked like there's going to be too many cost pro- prohibitions going forward. But but he seems very serious about it at this point. Where are you right now with regards to the whole debate with regards to a municipal force versus the RCMP continuing on its contract in Surrey? Well, the Surrey Board of Trade, we've had a long-standing policy in support of the RCMP. And uh, in terms of the municipal police force implementation, there's no real evidence that's going to, that indicates that it reduces gang violence, uh, that it increases public safety uh, in areas such as Abbotsford or Vancouver. Uh, gang violence uh, continues, and uh, both of those areas have issues in, in themselves. We need to be able to collaborate and harness and strengthen the resources that we have right now. Uh, the RCMP in Surrey, they do great work. We also have Division E here in Surrey, uh, representing BC and Yukon, where we're able to work together and and uh, harness our resources for uh, investigative uh, types of um, uh, incidents. But in any case, uh, all the Surrey Board of Trade is saying that is that a municipal police force is not the solution. We need to all work together uh, to ensure that public safety and the perception of public safety uh, increases not only in Surrey but as a region. Well, Anita, I know that the team at BIV, we've been trying to get in touch with the new mayor, uh, with the mayor-elect. I'm wondering if you have any sort of time frame in mind about the soonest that you'd like to speak to the mayor-elect. Just make sure that uh, the concerns and the priorities of the Surrey business community are on his radar. Well, we are wanting to set up a meeting with him between the board, my board of directors, myself, and uh, him, the, the new mayor and council as soon as possible. I know they're trying to figure things out. Uh, the first council meeting is November 19th, so uh, we'll see if uh, he's willing to speak with us. Uh, he is a public servant uh, to the people, and whether he disagrees or agrees with us, I'm hoping he'll take the meeting. Uh, we'll put a formal request in as soon as I know who to connect with on his team. Well, excellent. Anita, always appreciate you making time to talk to us. Thank you, Tyler. That's Anita Huberman, CEO of the Surrey Board of Trade. Stay with us. Tantalus Labs CEO, Dan Sutton, he's going to join us next, talking all about the first week of recreational cannabis legalization. And joining us today, it is Dan Sutton, CEO of Tantalus Labs. Dan, thanks for joining us on the show. Glad to be here. I'm sure you heard we have legalized recreational cannabis here in Canada now. That was last week? That was last week. Wow. I'm sure it might be coming as a bit of a shock, but look, we, we saw a lot of you know interesting stories, long lineups outside the only government outlet that is in Kamloops. It's actually the only you know uh, 
totally above board outlet that we have in all of British Columbia. And we also saw that a lot of strains were selling out online quite quickly. What does this tell you about where we are with regards to demand here in this province for, I guess, legalized recreational cannabis? Yeah, I think that there is an excitement around the novelty of legalized cannabis. And, and certainly as more stores open in BC, uh, we will see people who take to the message of lab tested, you know, third party, independently verified, clean cannabis, consistent cannabis, uh, and, and cannabis that you can probably buy batch over batch and still receive the same experience. And that is a huge value proposition. However, it is probably important to note that BC certainly was uh, the lowest sales volume, both online and in storefronts of any province. Uh, and that's likely because we just didn't have a huge uh, rollout, as well as the fact that there is a, a thriving and functional black market in this province, probably more so than any other. I, I was looking at the numbers. And it just shocked me how much more they sold in, say, Quebec than they did in the province of British Columbia, though. Yeah, I mean, Quebec's a more populous province. I, I think an in, more interesting analog might be New Brunswick or Nova Scotia that still did uh, massive amounts of volume. Maybe that's a function of how available black market cannabis is or is not in those provinces, or, or maybe it's a function of just a, a slow start here in British Columbia. I, I think we're going to see some more stores open, especially private stores in major metropolitan areas in British Columbia over the next few months. And that really will be uh, the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. Are people interested in coming over to a, a legal recreational offering from their from their black market dealers and and how does this province differ in that perspective uh, than than others across Canada now of course the BC government had an election last year right around the same time that they're kind of given a mandate to go ahead and do this so I can understand why there were some delays on the part of the BC government but what do you think we could have done differently here in this province to make things uh, maybe satisfy the demand that has been pent up at least on the legalized side of the game well, my, my perspective is that ultimately you need to put bums in seats and the most convenient and seemingly most preferred mechanism to sell recreational cannabis certainly is through retail storefronts. So we don't have many of those despite having a hybridized system of both publicly available stores as well as privately run stores. Now, my take on that is that we just didn't get started early enough. Uh, I'm aware of having gone through five years of regulatory process to get um, our licensed producer status with Health Canada for Tantalus Labs, that it, it takes a while to go through these application processes. And especially when it comes to criminal record checks, uh, the RCMP and their associated validation of lack of violent crime or lack of financial crime, lack of gang associations necessary to run a retail outlet in this province, uh, those take quite a while and they're certainly not going to rush it. So I think if we got started on those applications, maybe three or six months earlier than we did, we'd see a lot more private stores open now, but also important to come back to the reality that this is version one. We're going to hopefully see some stores in Vancouver and Victoria by the end of the year. That's as I understand it. And uh, once those retailers open and we, we can actually gauge the excitement in the metropolitan areas, that is going to be, I think, the best metric to, to then build on uh, through 2019. Well, one major municipality where it looks very unlikely we'll be seeing any of these stores is Surrey. We just had municipal elections and the mayor who, uh, I guess, after a 15-year hiatus, Doug McCollum is going to be back in the mayor's seat. And he has said uh, during his campaign that there will be no cannabis stores in Surrey. What do you make of that? And maybe other politicians that were running for the mayoral seats uh, that were making similar provinces, where does that really put the province with regards to other jurisdictions across Canada? Yeah, I think it's ironic that you see sort of law and order candidates uh, running on a platform of public health and safety wanting to abstain from cannabis stores. Uh, because ultimately, if you 
do not have cannabis stores available in your municipality, you are gifting the black market with an opportunity for uh, an, an uncompetitive or uh, an uncompetitive advantage um, in that they don't have any they don't have any stores to compete with. So ultimately, I think the path forward despite the fact that it, it may seem paradoxical instinctively for law and order candidates that want to prioritize public health and safety, maybe they come from a more conservative background or law enforcement background, is to facilitate cannabis stores. Regulated cannabis is lawful in this country. It's happened whether they like it or not. And uh, the the city of Surrey certainly consumes cannabis abundantly. So they're either going to buy it from their dealer or they're going to buy it from their legal recreational retail store. Well, one of the other notable things that happened on legalization days, a lot of people were watching the stock markets and, well, they kind of landed with a thud when it came to the cannabis sector. I, I think, you know, you can make the argument, like, why would anybody start placing their bets now? They should have been doing it two or three years ago. But for you, I, I mean, you also have other concerns about what's going on with a lot of these publicly traded companies. Maybe let's start a little bit first with the fact that these are agricultural businesses. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, do, I guess, Mompot investors really understand a lot of the nuances within an agricultural business? I think that the average investor comprehension coming into the cannabis industry has largely been focused on on perhaps mining stocks, maybe some tech stocks. And ultimately, this is a very different business case. I think it's pretty alarming, the lack of analytical understanding of the nature of of crop risk and and fluctuations in productivity that happen not just from seasonality but also from the kind of infrastructure that we've seen laid out, seen laid out very hastily in some cases. Uh, you know, rapid deployment of converting greenhouses as fast as possible into cannabis production facilities. Some of these greenhouses are forty years old. Some of them have been tailored to tomatoes or green peppers. And the thing is, this is a novel crop. We haven't cultivated it at any agricultural scale over the last 95 years. And in our case, we took two and a half years to get our design for our facility right before we ever put a shovel in the ground. So I think not only do average retail investors need to get far more knowledgeable about the nature of investing in agriculture, but the analysts in the sector, the bankers in the sector, and ultimately the executives in the sector need to take that on as well. We've seen a lot of people coming over from finance, a lot of people coming over from mining, and this is just not a manufacturing product. This is an agricultural product, uh, and it is inherently subject to, to various fluctuations in its productivity over time. Well, uh, last week on the show, we had the team from uh, the credit rating agency, DBRS. They joined us here in studio. And uh, before the mics turned on, I had a conversation with them about their concerns over the cannabis sector. They just came out with a new report this morning, and they gave the sector overall a B grade. This is essentially a non-investment grade for those that may not understand it. Is that a fair grade to give the entire sector right now, essentially a non-investment grade that indicates that there's a lot of concerns about, say, cash flow, uh, how well the product could actually be attained, how well and consistent it's going to be going forward. What's your gauge of, I guess, the big conditions going on that they're uh, looking at here? First of all, I think I should qualify that uh, although we have seen you know some pretty extreme fluctuations in cannabis stocks over the last few weeks and especially over the last couple of days where there's been a pretty massive sell-off, you know there this still has the makings of a massive nascent industry opportunity, especially when you look to October 2019, by which time we will have higher margin products available such as vaporization, edibles, concentrates, and beverages. Uh, but nonetheless, there are just a lot of companies that are are coming around to finding 
their rhythm and finding confidence in their business in a pretty spendy way. We haven't seen a lot of the discipline necessary to take advantage of nascent market opportunity in that I think lean startup methodology is really the way to go about this. Focus on high ROI opportunities. And I also, I think it's a fair critique to look at the M&A in the sector uh, where investors have been getting really excited about the the purchasing and, and agglomeration effect of large companies, whereas these companies aren't really buying mature assets. They're buying uh, venture capital assets, things that have kind of got a great business plan and an exciting vision, but haven't really demonstrated their their fundamental solidness over time. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of choppy waters to come. And I think that there are, for every quality cannabis company in in this space in Canada, there's probably five or 10 uh, that are, are people looking to make a quick buck. And that really comes down to uh, the, the savvy of the investor. You, you've got to look at fundamental strength if you want to make an investment that's going to pay off on a five-year time horizon. I'm not going to ask you to you know uh, give any stock tips for any particular companies or anything like that. But if you are a retail investor and you just really don't know some of the basics, what would be some of the things that they should be looking for if they wanted to invest in some of these companies? Um, I think, you know, executive teams that are deeply focused on agriculture and understand how to cultivate a crop consistently over time. We do see some strong agricultural companies now coming to enter the space, especially here in British Columbia. Uh, there's there's some great teams uh, over at, at Village Farms that have now done this joint venture with Emerald Health Corp. They're, they're called Pure Sun Farms, a, a team that I deeply respect. Uh, Bevo Agro and, and their historic I think three generations of tomato production. The, these are hardened agricultural cultivators. They, they've weathered the storm of um, globalization and, and decreasing margin over time. And now with this new high margin opportunity, I think it's the agriculturally focused teams that are going to be the most exciting in the long-term time horizon. But ultimately, you've, you've got to look at what opportunity you know best. If you believe in a, a tech future for cannabis, then focus on the tech offerings. If you believe in a brand future for cannabis, then focus on the brands. And I, I think for any investor, you've got to stick with what you know. Uh, before we leave you off uh, here, Dan, I'm, I'm curious, any big surprises just in that first week of legalization? Anything that you kind of made you rub your chin or do you think that would uh, surprise other people that are outside of the industry? Uh, I, I think the volumes were a lot higher than what people anticipated, perhaps not as much in British Columbia, but in other provinces. It was really exciting to see Canadians lining up to take their place in history and, and, and buying in that first week of legalization. I think that then leads to the inevitable concerns around supply constraints. We have not seen uh, the execution risk of actual construction of new facilities and, and the uh, green lighting of, of that associated supply really manifest on any timelines that were, were projected at, at the at the outset. So I think we've got a lot of supply hurdles to come and uh, that's that's going to play out in the in the media and the stock market over the next six months. Uh, the biggest surprise for me, and it really should not have been a surprise, but it seemed as if uh, it was the same joke on my Facebook feed that entire day where a lot of my uh, friends that are, are known to partake in cannabis prior to recreational legalization, um, they all had the same joke. Um, hey, guys, I've never tried this before. Any recommendations? And every single time I got a good uh, laughing emoticon from everyone's uh, friends. But uh, that was the thing that I kept noticing uh, last Wednesday. But uh, Dan, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks so much. That's Dan Sutton, CEO of Tantalus Labs. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. You can find our archives at iTunes and Stitcher. And you can also find our news stories at BIV.com. 
We'll be back tomorrow. 